Good morning. Hope you all are doing well. Didn't get blowed away yesterday. My, what a what a bunch of wind we've been having. I want to talk uh, this morning about uh, it's a, it's kind of a different lesson. Uh, I want to uh, study a subject, and at the same time, I want to. Uh, go into detail on analyzing Bible verses, at least how I do it, and maybe uh, that will help you in your studies as well. I'm going to talk about baptism. Uh, Is it necessary to salvation? Several years ago, I was preaching, but uh, I wondered if we made too big of a deal out of baptism because I wondered... would God really sentence a person to hell because they were not baptized for remission of sins? And I had to wrestle with that for a while. Uh, I I learned uh, through much study, I learned uh, that it's, it's not just baptism, it's whether or not we accept God, whether or not we'll listen to what God has said and do what he has said. Uh, willful rejection of anything the Lord has said is rebellion. Satan, of course, is a rebeller, and that's what keeps him out of heaven. And if we uh, turn our nose up, so to speak, at something God requires us to do, that's just uh, outright rebellion. And once I got that in my head, uh, I was at peace with what I was teaching. Uh, because I was troubled greatly by it. I knew we're supposed to be baptized. I just didn't know what would happen at the judgment for people, for example, who had been taught incorrectly. A lot of people, a lot of people are taught that baptism isn't salvation. Uh, Baptism is uh, something you do to join a church. And I really had trouble that the Lord would uh, condemn such a person. But there are, there are a number of passages that teach us our personal responsibility for study and learning. Uh, and we are never, ever, never, ever to take his word lightly. So I want to study this for just a moment. Norman Geisler, uh, he's a denominational theologian. Uh, he died a few years back. A very popular man. He's an excellent writer. He had a lot of knowledge, but uh, not always. Sometimes, like all of us do, he missed the mark. And in one section of his book, the books are called Systematic Theology. Uh, I'll be taking this information from Volume 3, pages 489 through 504. But he, he believed, or he had a section, rather, entitled, uh, it's all about us. <laughs> the Church of Christ's view of the, on the conditions of salvation. You'll notice that the S is parenthetical. He put parentheses around it. Uh, the reason he did that was he was kind of gigging us just a little bit. Uh, he believed that there's only one condition. He believed in the teaching of salvation by faith only. So when he wrote about us, he wrote uh, conditions and then making sure everybody understood we were wrong, he put the S in parentheses. But uh, Geisler, 
he made the statement, neither repentance, confession of one's faith, nor baptism are conditions for pardon. Uh, all preachers read his material because, like I said, he's a very bright man. Uh, the problem is some don't sift through the material and discerning what's correct and what's incorrect. And because of that, there are many pulpits today that preachers are saying this very thing. People are hearing it. Uh, they believe it, of course, because the preacher said it. It's got to be the truth. It's got to be correct. Um, and that, that troubles me because I, I know uh, I know so many folks uh, who uh, honestly believe that baptism uh, has nothing to do with salvation. And uh, of course, I know what the future holds if they don't uh, have a change of mind about the matter. In James 2.24, let me start out. You see then a man is justified by works. That's a big no-no in religion, the Christian religion in particular, you're never supposed to talk about works because works have nothing to do with salvation. We are saved by faith alone. That's all, that's all you need. If you believe, you're saved. Uh, I watched, uh, his name slips my mind, but uh, he was on the TV uh, fairly regularly. Uh, Franklin Graham is who I'm thinking of. Uh, he was on the TV, and he asked people to, to pray with him that they might be forgiven of their sins. So they prayed. They accepted Jesus as Christ and the rest of the prayer. And when he got done, he said, now you are a Christian. Well, he was wrong. That's not correct. There are things a person must do to be a Christian, and anything short of that misses the mark. And this is James's point. He, he, made, he gave a couple of illustrations how works were very necessary to salvation. He gave a few illustrations, and he said, you see then, given what I've just told you, that a man is justified, pardoned of sin, by works. But he goes on, and not by faith alone. You see, faith alone, this teaching, this belief that people had uh, was common at that time. Mostly it has to do with people not wanting to do the works that are required of a Christian to do. So there were people in James's day who taught, well, you know, if you believe, you'll be saved. If you don't do all the things the Lord requires, that's okay because you're going to be saved by faith only. And that's what one of the reasons, at least, he devoted a whole chapter to the matter. That's one of the reasons why James wrote this uh, letter, is to teach people, show them an example, and then teach them that you see the importance of works in justification, because salvation isn't just by faith alone. So that makes baptism a very big deal. And as disciples of Christ, it's imperative that we understand at least the fundamental, uh, the basic tenets of New Testament Christianity, because I don't know, you may be able to help someone else understand the necessity of baptism, and that would be a good thing to do uh, if you get the opportunity. The real question, what is the testimony of the New Testament? 
or put it another way, what has Jesus said about anything, any given matter? You hear me talk and what you should say, what does Jesus say about the matter? And you should investigate for yourself to make sure that what I'm telling you is correct. Because that's the only thing important when it comes down to it. In John 12, 48, Jesus said, The word that I have spoken will judge him, that is mankind, in the last day. We're going to be judged by the New Testament scriptures. Did I conform to the pattern that I was given? So, our understanding of the Lord and what he would have us to do is of the utmost importance because none of us will be saved just because we have faith. We must also have works, at least the works of faith. In John 8, 43 through 5, the Lord asked, why do you not understand my speech? He's speaking to a very large group of people. Why do you not understand? Were they too dumb? Were they not intelligent enough? Did they not have high school diplomas? He spoke in very clear and concise language, but they didn't understand what he was talking about. So he asked the question, why do you not understand what I'm saying? In other places, Jesus points out to us some reasons for not being able to understand what the will of God actually is. In John 7, 17, our Lord said, if anyone wants to do God's will, he shall know, the Greek term is gnosis, he will have evidentiary evidence. He will know concerning the doctrine that is the teaching of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> if anyone wants to do his will, in short, he shall know the will of God. Sometimes people tell me, say, well, I can't understand the Bible. My brothers and sisters, look at what the Lord is saying. If anyone wants to do God's will, he shall know the doctrine. Now, a statement like this is made because the Lord's going to make sure we know the doctrine. If I have a want, a desire to do the will of God, the Lord is going to guide me and enable me to be exposed to the things that are necessary that will help me understand New Testament teaching. The question really is, do I want to? That little word want has a lot to do with our attitude. Whether divine or of human origin, we can know the difference. The problem was these people did not want to do his will. Oh, they weren't going to say that. They weren't going to say, I don't want to do the things you're telling me to do. They will in the next chapter, but not in this chapter. In this chapter, Jesus just asked, why do you not understand my speech? He knew the reason. They didn't want to. And because they didn't want to, they didn't get it. 
they couldn't make sense of it. In John 8, 30 through 32, what was read just a few moments ago, as Jesus spoke these words, many people believed. Not all people. Remember, he's in front of this big crowd. <clears throat> Not all people, but many people out of that great audience believed. We have Jesus <coughs> speaking, excuse me. <coughs> we have Jesus speaking to a large gathering. And as he spoke, some of these folks believed. So Jesus said to those Jews, watch him now, who believed. He's not speaking to the large gathering any longer. He's speaking to the individuals in that group who believed what he had to say. He focuses his attention on them. He's going to give them an instruction. They already believe what he said, who he is. Now they need to know what they needed to do. So the Lord continues his speech. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. That's one of them if and then propositions, either or. If you abide in my word, <coughs> then I'll make you my disciple. Many people in the crowd heard what Jesus had to say, but they weren't disciples of his. Many believers in the crowd heard what he had to say, but they weren't disciples of his either. If you abide in my word, then you will be a disciple. There's two things necessary to be a disciple of the Son of God. The first is we must believe, just like those Jews. Not the whole crowd, but just the ones who believed was this statement made to. The second one is, if you abide in my word. In other words, we must live by the words of Christ. He said, if you do those two things, you believers, if you do those two things, you will be my disciple. Now, this indicates to me that a person is not saved by faith only. If a person had been saved by faith only, there would have been nothing for Jesus to tell believers. But these believers weren't disciples. They wanted to become disciples. They didn't know how to do it. So the Lord told them how they could actually be a disciple. You've got to go beyond belief. You've got to do the will of God. Then you'll be my disciples. It's not really hard to understand. It's very important to understand, though. Faith only just will not save anyone. It just won't. The result would be, and you shall know the truth. The truth, of course, is the will of God, the word of God, John 17, 17. You shall know what the will of God is, and the truth is what shall make you free. Free from what? Free from the clutches of sin. Free from the fear of condemnation. Free from the fear of the failures and doubts, misunderstandings and misapprehensions. 
the Lord will set you free. If you believe and you abide in my word, I'll help you along the way. You pass that on to others because we all need to understand. Why do you not understand my speech? He went on to say, because you are not able to listen to my word. What does that mean? You are, are they deaf? What could possibly make them unable to hear the words that Jesus said? It doesn't seem to make much sense. But there are, again, other places that clarify this for us. As we already read in John 7, 17, before a person is going to understand the gospel, you must want to understand. You got to want it. You ever been real hungry and want to eat a pizza or have a chicken and dumplings? You ever been real hungry and needed the food? I want something to eat. When we get to that point, when it comes to the will of God, we'll be able to understand the will of God. We really got to want it before we can proceed from there. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul the Apostle said, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man. This is the person who has the mind of the God of this world and pursues the things of this world. His interest lies here, not there. He spends his time thinking about wanting trying to figure out a way to have the things he wants. He spends his time trying to develop the best life humanly possible without giving consideration to the future life. He's all about this world, not the other world. The here and now, not the then and there. That's what the natural man is. Now he said, this kind of a person, this kind of a mind, does not receive the things of God. He won't accept it. He won't chew it. He won't digest it. It's just not his thing. His thing is here. These things are, are foolishness to him. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand how you eat the body of Christ. The Catholics had the problem. The people didn't understand. So they came up with this idea that when the priest blesses the bread, it magically turns into the body of Christ. That's not correct. To understand what eating the body of Christ is and drinking his blood, a person must be spiritually minded. They've got to want to know what it signifies what it represents. And when they have that desire to know, they shall know. Until then, it just looks like foolishness, superstition, witchcraft, magic, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Nor can he know them, what? The things of this world, the things of the Spirit of God, rather. He can't know them. He can't comprehend them because his mind is You've heard people had their mind in the gutter and thinking incorrectly. Well, in this case, his mind is set on the world and not the things of God. Therefore, he can't know or comprehend the meaning 
of what God has said because they are spiritually discerned. A, a person has to have a spiritual mind. If you want to know the will of God, Jesus said, you shall know. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. You're going to develop a spiritual mind. And you're going to be able to understand what it is God would have you to do. The Lord himself promised us that that would be the case. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Why? You are of your father, the devil. You think like the devil thinks. You're of the same character, the same nature. The devil doesn't think about the then and there. He thinks about the here and now. And you act like him. You think like him. You possess a spirit that is very closely akin to him. And Jesus said, he's your father. You're his offspring because you're of the same mind. And the desires of your father you want to do, you can say, it is your will to do. You want to do the same thing the devil wants to do. He's actually the encourager of such things, the instigator. He tempts us, entices us, and we may bite. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. Why? He is a liar, and he is the father of the lie. But because I tell you the truth, you do not understand me. You do not believe me because it is not your will to believe me. This was their obstacle. They didn't understand it. They didn't realize it. They probably didn't even understand it after Jesus said it. But this is what was hindering them from understanding what it was he said. He's talking now to God's people. These people had served God all their lives, or they thought they had. They were on the wrong track. They misunderstood a lot of things. And they couldn't comprehend the truth because they didn't have mind or desire to know what the truth was. Above the desires of your father you want to do, stated another way, it is your will to do the desires of your father. There's two kinds of people in the world. One group are the offspring of God, the children of God. The other group are the children of the devil, that according to Christ. What makes them children of the devil? They have a mind, like the devil. They have nothing to do with God. They're really not interested in God. They don't care much for the things of God because their interests lie here. Two choices, these folks. Jesus said their father was the devil because they behaved as he behaved. It is your will, therefore, to do the desires of your father. Therefore, it is not your will to believe me. Why did they not believe? It was their own doing. It wasn't because the Bible's too hard. The Bible's a very simplistic book when it deals with things that pertain to salvation. 
Some things are a little harder to understand, but those things really don't have anything to do, not directly, to do with our salvation. But as far as what a person must do to be saved, a child can understand most of it if you just show them where to look. The truth versus the lie. It's very important. The truth shall make you free, Jesus said. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 12, All will be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They didn't believe the truth because they were enjoying life just too much. But there's a difference made between the two groups. The truth, those who believed and accepted the truth, they would be made free and have the hope of eternal life. But those who believed the lie, such as Geisler advocated, salvation by faith only, they'll be condemned. We have to choose between what God says and what man says. And we've got to obey what God says and disregard what man has said. That's how powerful his truth is. It's the difference between salvation and condemnation. It's the truth that sets us free. New Testament testimony regarding God's plan of salvation. I can only go through a couple. I've got a whole lot in here, but we'll just get to a couple. Matthew 28, 18, the Lord said, he spoke to his apostles saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He's sovereign. He, saw, he, saw, he has the final say. Every single thing he said is the way it's going to be. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's the ruler of both heaven and earth. And that gave him authority since he gave us life. That gave him, just like a parent has a right to oversee the development of the child, so the creator has a right to oversee our development too. And what he says is the way it'll be. We can choose one or the other, that's up to us. But it is the way it will be in that last day, which just isn't too far off. Go therefore, <clears throat> because I have all authority, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus gave a command in this statement. Make disciples. The question is, how do you make a disciple? They might have asked. Make a disciple. This is what their mission was, to make disciples. We call this the Great Commission. This was their primary mission, making disciples. How are you going to do that? By baptizing them. Jesus said. That's how you make a disciple. Now, wait a minute. We, we, we know more than that. We know it takes more than just being baptized. If that were the case, we could baptize a baby. There's more to being saved than just baptism. Yes, there is. There's actually four steps that precede baptism. A person must be taught what the Bible says. They must believe they must repent of their sins, leave sin away. They must confess Jesus as the Christ before other people and not be ashamed of him. And if they do all four things, then they are allowed to be baptized 
for the remission of their sins. And someone would ask, well, why did Jesus say, go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them when there's more to it? This is what's known as a synecdoche, baptizing them. It's when a part stands for a whole, okay? Uh, 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 I hadn't thought about this. Um, <laughs> I got 12 head of cattle at home. Now, somebody who took that very literally, they'd understand that to me. I got 12 cow's heads laying at the house. But we know that what that means is I got 12 cows at the house, okay? That's a synecdoche. A part, the head, stands for the whole, the cow. Well, this is what this is, and it happens a lot in the scriptures. It happens a lot where one word stands for the whole shooting match. In this case, it's going to be baptism. Why? Well, it's the final step before one becomes a disciple. Believing doesn't make you a disciple. Repenting doesn't make you a disciple. Confession doesn't make you a disciple. But if you do those things, the next step Jesus instructed us to do, baptism, that step will make you a disciple of his when you come up out of the water. A new creature. The old things have passed away. Those things are all essential but the Lord only mentioned baptism. It was the final step in the plan of salvation. So we have a synecdoche. We don't have to get all bent out of shape. We just have to understand language, how to understand and interpret language. We do that all the time. We use synecdoches all the time. And you may have never heard that word before, but you do it all the time in your regular speech. Why baptism is when sin is washed away. In the name, or should, in the Greek text, it says into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Into, imagine the Godhead, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit being within a circle. The person who is baptized, becoming a disciple of Christ, they are baptized uh, into that circle with the Godhead. What does it mean? They have fellowship with God. They are the children of God, the friends of God. And he recognizes them as sons and daughters. Mark 16 and 16, the Lord said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. I've had to contend with this one. I couldn't tell you how many times in my life. First of all, notice the word and. Notice how it's used in our language. And is a coordinating conjunction that joins words or phrases of equal value or responsibility. The word and, well, let me show you. <clears throat> the word and joins together belief and baptism. Okay, that's what the word and does. I recall what the Lord said with regard to marriage, a principle of God that we don't want to take lightly. Matthew 19 and 6. What God has joined together, joined together, let not man put asunder. It was God who joined together belief in baptism. 
We dare not try to separate those two. Belief and baptism are of equal value. And they are joined together by the Lord in that conjunction and. Baptism is an act of obedience, so we can think of it as obedience. This is the definition that Greek lexicons give for the word faith. Belief conjoined together with obedience. That's according to Thayer, the most popular Greek lexicon I, I know of. Belief conjoined together with works. Obedience equals faith. Take away faith, the belief, well, there's no faith. Take away the works, there's no faith. And it's important for us to understand the importance of these statements. Both belief and baptism are companion requirements for salvation. Can't do one without the other. You can't separate what God has joined together any more than man can separate the man and woman that God joins together. Only God can do such things. It's not left for us to do. Oh, this is going to take too long, so I'm going to have to stop right there. Uh, the, the matter of baptism is taught uh, in explicit statements. It's taught in principle. Oh, many, many times. I used to wonder why it was talked about so much in the Bible. It occupies a great deal of space, this subject of baptism. The only thing I can think of, and this is only my opinion, is the possibility that the Lord knew what was coming. He knew that people would struggle with this notion of baptism. What would baptism have to do with removing sin? Some people say we believe that by an act of baptism we're saved. That baptism literally washes away sin. I don't believe that. I believe what Paul said in Colossians 2 and verse 12. That when a person is buried with Christ and raised with Christ... It's a working of God that takes place. When? When the person is buried in water before they come up with water, a working of God occurs. What is that work? Taking away sin. It's not, it's not what I do if I baptize someone. It's not what the baptized person does. It's what God does when they're baptized. And that's when he takes away sin. I wish I had more time, but I do not. Without God, life makes no sense whatsoever. What's called uh, evolution is absurd and ridiculous. What people want us to believe goes beyond the pale of sound reasoning. We have enough evidence in our world to know that there is a divine being that created everything we see, including ourselves. That's the only way we could possibly exist. There is no other way. That divine being turned himself into a person and he walked among people 
And he gave an example of how someone should live while they occupy a body. And of course, that person is Jesus the Christ. He not only provided us with an example and later with future instruction, he died on the cross so that I could be forgiven. He paid a debt. I sinned. The wages of sin is death. The devil knows that. And he's watching. What will the creator do? Will he violate his own law? Will he break his own law? Will he save a sinner? God wasn't going to let that be. He's just in justifying us because Jesus died on a cross and he paid our debt, a debt we could not pay. He has given us an opportunity to get off of death row. If we believe him, we can repent of our sins, confess the Christ, be immersed in water. A working of God will take place. Sins will be removed. And the person that comes out of that water is a new creature. Just like the Lord was when he came up from a grave. Can you believe? Do you want to believe? If you want to believe, we have a promise from the Lord Jesus himself that we shall believe. Then you need to obey God. As Christians, sometimes we forget who we are. And we don't behave well. We all do it. I mean, it's not a strange occurrence. All of us have stepped out of the light. All of us has needed the prayers of our brethren to help us ask God for forgiveness.